Happy Father's Day to all the fathers and to our Father in heaven, who we love very much. So this is a small group, a lot of people out of town today, but I am super excited about what the Lord has to share. Lord, we love you and we want to see your desire fulfilled today, Lord. So Lord, come and uh, touch us, Lord. You know, Jesus did most of his miracles, not all of them, but he did most of his miracles in small groups. Seemed like uh, some of the most awesome ones were only seen by a few. You know, the walking on water, turning water into wine, that was a, small, that was a wedding. I, only a few people knew what was really going on behind the scenes. You know, he, numerous healings. So what does that mean? That means that when we have a small group... Some, hey, we might get some awesome miracles just for the few. Uh, when Jesus walked in after the resurrection, he walked into to an upper room. It wasn't the probably not the upper room, but it could have been. And it was just a few people in there. And the Lord did an awesome thing. So <clears throat> what I want to talk to you about is the marriage supper of the Lamb. Okay. How many are familiar with that in Scripture? If you're not, that's okay. But there's a lot of things in Scripture. Matthew, Jesus told a parable in Matthew 22 talking about a marriage supper that the father had prepared for his son. And, uh, and so I want to look at that, but I want to look through it through the lens of John the Baptist and who he was, what his ministry was, and how that relates to us. Because I believe uh, John the Baptist is a prototype of the last day ministry. Okay. John's ministry is a prototype. It was a it was a shadow of the last day ministry. I'm going to explain that. If you want to turn over to the book of Malachi, you don't have to, but if you would like to, you can. There were a number of scriptures. Uh, now, of course, we know that the Old Testament prophesied about Jesus. Really, everything in there is is a prophetic picture of the Christ. It's, it's, uh, we were talking about this at the men's meeting. Uh, Jacob, you, you sent those guys, I don't know if you sent those guys uh, to the men's meeting, but they, Matt and, uh, what's, what's his buddy, Car, Carlson? Carson. Uh, they came, and we, we got into some of that, just the, um, how amazing the scripture is. It gave us very detailed prophecies some 700, some 1,000, some older, that Jesus fulfilled perfectly. And you just can't make that up. It's impossible. The, 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 the chances of some of those things being fulfilled the way they were, it's just it's mind-boggling. But we got into some of that. But there actually were some prophecies about the coming of John because John had a very, very, very important ministry. He came to prepare the people for the Lord. But it, there are a number of scriptures. Isaiah 40 is one of them, but we're going to look at Malachi first. Um, if you turn over to Malachi, you don't have to. This is going to be chapter 4 of the book of Malachi. The book of Malachi is the last book of the Bible, of the Old Testament. Not the Bible, but the Old Testament. And I'm getting there. Slowly but surely. All right, so Malachi chapter 4, uh, 
For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and evildoers will be chaff, and the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. You will tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statues and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. Now here's the key. Here's the next two verses. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Um, I love this for numerous reasons. Uh, obviously, it, you know, I, I, was, I, wasn't, I didn't know what the Lord was going to give me today, but I had a, like this one message I've preached one time and it wasn't here, <laughs> and it was on uh, the importance of fatherhood and the ministry of a father, and uh, it is so important. Without the fathers, we will have a lost generation, and the devil knows that, and he's been fighting hard to destroy fathers. You know, the, the world always shows fathers in bad light. They just do, and, but we have the greatest father of all to give us a good example, but it's very important to the father that the hearts of the fathers are turned back to their children and their children's to the father. And he said that he was going to send Elijah. Now, we know Elijah was probably known as the, you know, either him or Elisha, but it's arguable. But, I mean, Elisha did more uh, miracles than Elijah, but that was in part because of the ministry of Elijah. So, really, in a sense, Elijah was the greatest prophet in the prophets of the Old Testament. It seemed, you know, Moses and Elijah tend to be the ones that were highlighted even in the New Testament. But this is important because if you turn over now, we're going to go to, this is Luke. Now, you guys do me a favor. Y'all stick with me. I know it's a little warmer than normal. And some of you are probably having sugar crashes here any minute. But stick with me. I think this is important. Um, and I got to build this a little bit just so you see it from Scripture. All right, so Luke. Now, in the Luke, this is the beginning of, we're getting the story where the angel Gabriel appears to um, Zacharias, and he's telling him about that he's going to have a son in his old age. And that he's got a son that's coming, and he's giving all these things that his son is going to do. And so this is very important because Jesus clearly said to his disciples later on, he said they were asking about the Elijah that is to come. They were asking about the book of Malachi. What, what does that mean? And later on, and Jesus told them, he says, Elijah shall come. Okay, so he says Elijah's going to come, but I'm telling you, he already came. Okay, Elijah's gonna come, but he's already come, and they did not recognize him. And then the disciples understood that he was referring to John. So, what does that mean? That means that John came, 
in the power and the spirit of Elijah, which is something we're about to look at, but it also means that there's a new Elijah anointing that's coming, and I believe that this Elijah anointing is coming to prepare the earth for the Lord, and to prepare, but even more importantly, to prepare his people for the Lord. Now, let's look at John, and we'll see what I'm talking about. So in Luke chapter 1, um, I guess let's start in verse 13. This is when the angel is appearing to Zacharias. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. I love that. He's turning people back to God. Okay, that's what he's going to do. It is he, John, John the Baptist, it is he who will go as a forerunner before him, the hymn that they're referring to is the Son of God, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. Okay, he's quoting Malachi here. That first scripture I just read, remember that? Are y'all with me? Everybody remember Malachi? Okay. He's turning the hearts of the fathers back to the children. The angel quotes it differently. He tells he gets him started with the verse, but then he kind of interprets the verse for him. All right, I love it when heaven begins to interpret what God really meant about something. So here the angel is talking to Zacharias, and he says, um, he's, going, he's going as a forerunner, and he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. And this is in the verse, this is when it says the children will be turned back to the father. But it doesn't say that. It says, in the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So we get a glimpse into what was in God's heart in Malachi when he said that the spirit of Elijah was going to come and it was going to fall on somebody and they were, it was going to keep a curse from, it was basically going to break a curse and this curse was, he said he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And then the angel interprets that for us. And he says, and to turn the attitude of the unrighteous to the righteous, the, the attitude of the wicked. He's going to change their mind. You know what repentance means in the Greek? Change your mind. You thought one way, you thought your sins were good, you were doing it willingly, you were choosing to follow your own desire, and you change your mind and say, you know what, not what I think, what you think. Repentance, changing your mind. And so the attitude, the heart, the heart changes. There's a change in the heart when we repent. And this is what the angel was saying that was going to fall on John, that John was going to be used to do that. And so we see more about this. Uh, if you look over at verse 76 in that same chapter, uh, Zacharias begins to prophesy under the Holy Spirit once the child is born. And he says um, in verse, let's see, verse, 70, verse 76, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, and you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways 
to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of sins because of the tender mercies of our God, which the sun from on high will visit us, the sunrise from on high. He's actually, if, if, you, if, you, if you studied this, the sunrise from on high, he's quoting Malachi again. That, it's right in that same, same part of Malachi. So there is an anointing that the Lord spoke about in Malachi that is being brought forth through John. John's ministry was to prepare the way for the Lord. He was making a highway of holiness. He was making a highway. Now, we're going to look at this some more, but he was actually, the Scripture says that he was to bring the high places down and the low places up. It is, uh, let's see here. I'm going to get to that. I might be jumping ahead of myself. I don't want to jump ahead. Um, but when John came, and we're about to look at this, we're going to see that he accomplished all this. So turn over. Let's go to Luke chapter 3. Now this is the appearing of John. Now John's a man now. John was born miraculously. The angel came, told Zacharias he was going to have a son in his old age. His wife was old, beyond the year of bearing children. They have a miracle child. It was prophesied once again that he would come in the power and the spirit of Elijah. Okay? And he did. And it was to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the attitude of the wicked to the righteous. He was going to bring a repentance. And when John comes, what does he do? Now in the 15th year, this is John 3, I'm sorry, Luke 3. Now, in the 15th year of the reign of the Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of, what, however you say that, Toria, Toria and Traconitus and Lysanias were tetrarch of Abilene. So, okay, hoping that's, I probably butchered all those words. In the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he came into all the district around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, do you see how that word repentance is so keen when you look at what the angel said and what, and what uh, about changing the mindset? changing the attitude, the heart of the wicked to the righteous. John came and he preached repentance. Repentance, change your mind. Stop doing the things that you think are right and turn and do the things that God says are right. And he comes preaching that message. And he came into all the district around the Jordan preaching the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. They're about to quote Isaiah 40. The voice of one crying in the wilderness Make his path straight. Every ravine, every ravine will be filled and every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked will become straight and the rough roads smooth and all flesh will see the salvation of God. Now I'm going to stop there for a second. That's what I was talking about. He said the low places will come up and the high places will go down. What does that look like? You ever been in, a, you ever been in the mountains? You got high places, you got low places, right? If one comes up and the other one goes down, what happens? It's leveled. Repentance brings every man who is high and lofty low. And it brings every true repentance. Turning to the Lord brings every low and broken person up. 
the highway that God is doing, there was a highway. I don't even have time to go to it. I think it's Isaiah 35. All through the Old Testament, there's all these prophecies about this moment in time when John was being sent ahead of the Lord. There are two comings of Christ, right? You have his first coming and you have his second coming. John actually doubted later on when he was thrown into prison after preparing Israel for, to meet Jesus. He prepared all of Israel to meet Jesus, and he actually, when he was thrown in prison, began to doubt. Why? He was confused because he didn't understand there's a first coming and there's a second coming. Jesus fulfilled in his first coming all of the messianic promises, messianic scriptures, prophecies concerning the first coming. There's a second coming. When Jesus comes, he's coming back to rule and reign. Okay, he is coming back. Jesus Christ is coming back. And when he comes, he's going to need, just like he needed at his first coming to prepare God's people and the world for his coming, there's a second coming when he will need a John the Baptist in the spirit and the power of Elijah that's going to come and prepare the world for him, okay? Are y'all with me? Do we need to stand up and do a, do a wake-up moment? <laughs> Everybody stand up, turn around three times, and jump up and down. Wake up. Who needs coffee? Actually, coffee's hot. It probably ain't going to help. Uh, if you do need to stand up, you're not going to hurt my feelings. I would rather see you stand up than you to snore on me. <laughs> and I've had that happen. <laughs> I wasn't talking about you. I didn't see you. I just know how it is. I was preaching one here. I ain't going. I was preaching one time, and all of a sudden, you could hear this real. Coming from that back corner back there, and I'm like, what, what? man, this is really bad. I didn't think it was, but they must have been tired. Everybody needs that, though. Have someone snore on them during their preaching. Um, <laughs> all right. So where was I at? I was waking you up. That's right. So he preached. Let's see. I was reading something. I think I, my pages got blown over. John or Luke 3. All right. Back to Luke 3. So John is preparing the way. He's bringing the low places up and the high places down. That's what repentance does. If you're arrogant and prideful and rich and think you're all that, uh, you're wrong. And repentance brings you low. And there was an anointing on John that when he went out to preach, the multitudes came to him and they heard the message and were baptized. They were humbled themselves. They acknowledged their sin, their wickedness, the rich, the poor, everyone. There was a level playing field, and it was the gospel being preached. If you, I'm going to keep reading. Y'all ready? Uh, I stopped off in verse, what's the verse I stopped off in? This is verse 6, so verse 7. So he began saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. How's that to start a message? How would y'all do if I started calling all y'all a bunch of snakes when I start preaching? <laughs> That's how he started his message. You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? There's a wrath that's going to come, guys. There really is. But God loves us. He don't want us to, to be in that. Uh, 
Therefore, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say in yourselves, to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. See, that's what the Jews thought. They thought because they were Jews that Abraham was their natural father, that they were some, were, somehow were okay with God. And John came to tell Israel, hey, God loves you, Israel, but you're not okay just because Abraham was your natural father. You got to repent. You got to get right with God. And I'm going to say to you, many people grow up in church and they think they're right with God because their mom and daddy, you know, goes to church. And that's just not true. You can go park yourself in a car in a garage for a long time, and that you're never going to be a car. You can park park your butt in a in a chair in church. That doesn't make you a Christian. As I said, I think I said this a week or two ago. You know, I saw this sign coming into town. It says, "True Christians obey Jesus's teachings." If you say you're a Christian and you refuse to do what the Lord says, you're not a Christian. You may believe in him, but you're not a Christian. A Christian is someone who follows Christ. If Jesus says something in his word and, 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 and he's telling you just and you don't do it, you're in rebellion. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? You're not going to be right with God if, you're not, if your heart's not broken and say, look, Lord, I struggle, and I'm not talking about people struggling, okay? Don't misunderstand the grace of God. I'm not talking about being perfect or struggling. I'm talking about rebellion. You know what I mean? There's a difference between someone who is trying to do right by God and wants to do right and is asking for help and someone that says, I'm not doing what you say. Jesus, Jesus, you're the Lord. Well, do what he says. If he tells you don't sleep with girls that aren't your wives, don't do it. If he says, and he does say that, you know, if, he, if you say you're a Christian and you're living in homosexuality, you're wrong because that's wrong. If, you're, if, you're, if you won't forgive, and G Jesus said if you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven. If you want to be his disciple, you must pick up your cross and follow him. This costs you everything, but it's worth everything. Paul, the apostle, towards the end of his life, says that he considered all the things in this life but dung that he might obtain Christ. There's nothing more important in this life than the Lord. So John comes and he's preaching repentance and he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. If you're really repentant towards the Lord, your, your life will bear fruit in that area. You know, if you're not bearing fruit and I'm not talking about perfection, God gives us time to grow. Fruit don't just show up one day just because you, a seed was planted. But in time, fruit should appear. And if it doesn't appear, then you're not bearing forth fruit with repentance. Does that make sense? Therefore, bear fruits and keep more repentance, and do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham for our father, for I say to you that these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Indeed, the axe is already laid to the root of the trees, so every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds were questioning him, saying, then what shall we do? What shall we do? Here's what he says. And he would answer and say to them, The man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And he who has food is to do likewise. Stop being selfish. Take care of, your, take care of people. Some tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you have been ordered to. Some soldiers were questioning him, saying, 
What about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely and be content with your wages. You know, these are all things that love automatically does. If I love my neighbor, I don't harm them. I don't steal from them. If I love my neighbor, I help those who are in need as the Lord leads me. And he does lead me. <laughs> you know, that's, 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 that's that old excuse sometimes. I don't feel led. <laughs> okay, whatever. Some soldiers were questioning him, saying, and what about us? What shall we do? And he said, do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely and be content with your wages. Now, while the people were in a state of expectation, all and all were wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he was the Christ. John answered and said to them all, As for me, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I, and I'm not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to thoroughly clean, clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barns, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So when many other ex, so with many other exhortations, sorry, he preached the gospel to the people. But when Herod the Tetrarch was re- reprimanded by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the wicked things which Herod had done, Herod also added this to them all. They locked John up in prison. This is totally unrelated in a side note, but I'm just going to say it. John the Baptist was locked up in prison because he dared to speak um, God's word to people in power. So for those who say that preachers should not be involved in politics, you don't know the scripture. God, we're the light of the world. If we're not to speak life into the world and light into the world, who's going to? And so I refuse to have anybody tell me what I'm going to say about politics. God has an opinion about righteousness and unrighteousness, and it applies to our governing of our country. So, I'm, I, so anyway, y'all know that I'm preaching to the choir, but I just side note that so he got locked up because he spoke to power. All right. And he also got his head cut off for it. <laughs> so you got you to gotta count the cost, don't you? That's right. Um, all right. So we're going to look. Let's look over at John. There's a lot of scripture today. Uh, I needed more time today, and I have it, actually. Uh, we, we started not quite on time, but fairly not as bad as we have done and ended worship a little early, so it's, uh, we got time. Um, y'all may yet have to fight the Baptists and the Methodists and the Catholics for your place in line at the lunch table for Father's Day after all, but we'll see. <laughs> Pentecostals tend to be the last one at the the lunch table after church. I'm just saying. A little bit more charismatics. Uh, All right. So I want to look a little bit more at John because this is, because he is a prototype of the last day ministry, I want to look at the two main things that he he does and and talk about how that relates to us and how it relates to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I, I am... Um, I want this done in my life, and I, and I want it done in your life. Um, I did have a dream 
that really impacted my life when I was in my early 20s. This was probably 95, 96, somewhere in there, probably 95. In this dream, and this is, I don't have to put this in the message. It's not the message doesn't need this, but it, I thought it was a cool dream, and it is about this. Um, and it's a short dream. In my dream, I wake up to someone pounding or knocking hard at my door, my bedroom door. Uh, I was living with my f- mother and father. I was right before we got married, and uh, so I would have been young, early 20s. And I have this knock on my door, and I, it, it startles me, and I go to the door, and it's like, and I open the door, and there's John the Baptist standing in the doorway. And it scared me. Like, it scared me. And I got really, really scared. You know how you get, if you get scared really hard, then, or how would you say that? If you get really scared, there's, um, it'll make you angry. You ever been angry because you got scared so, uh, no? No one's ever scared you? We'll have to work on that. <laughs> Lindsay, you ever gotten mad from someone scaring you? <laughs> That's what happened to me when I saw John the Baptist. It scared me so bad it made me angry. But I was blown away that he was there, and he would... He would stick his hand over something like a book or, or something, and when he would, that book would come up. It, it was like almost the force. He would just lay his hand over something, wouldn't touch it, just put his hand over it, and the thing would rise up. And I was like, that is so cool. And he was, he was amazing looking. Um, he was a little heavy in my dream, and I'm like, man, you, ain't, you don't look like that eating locusts and honey. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, just saying. Um, but it was so cool. I was like, would you pray for me and let me have that too? And he was like, he was unsure. And I kept begging him, please let me have that. And he, he said, okay. So he laid hands on me and I would stick my hand over something and it would rise up. It just like you could not touch it. It's like using the force almost. You just stick your hand over something and it would come up in the air. And when I woke up from that dream, the Lord began to show me what that was about. And it was the call of John the Baptist and his ability to raise up the low places. You remember the prophecy? He will raise up the low places. He was able to place his hand over something and it would rise up. He would raise up the low places. And I believe very much that this, uh, this spirit of Elijah that is coming upon the last day church is for his people. Okay? And it's important that we understand this because this is our calling. I, in this aspect, I want to be like John. Now, obviously, we all want to be like Jesus. But when it comes to this aspect, there's an aspect that I want us to get to in John that's imperative for the last day church because it's the last day church that's going to prepare the earth for the coming of the Lord. He's coming. We're preparing the way. We're called to raise up the low and even to bring down the high and to make a smooth place so that the Lord can come. Because of John's ministry, it opened the door for the people to, to come to Jesus. Now, why, did that, why is that the case? Well, let's look at it. So turn over, if you want, to John, to chapter, to John chapter 1. Got to go back because of that fan. All right, John chapter 1, 
my favorite book in the Bible, certainly my favorite gospel. I love John the disciple, the apostle John. He's not to be confused with John the Baptist, who, the, who is the one we're talking about. But John the Baptist, John, I'm sorry, John the apostle, John the disciple is talk, going about to tell us about John the Baptist. And in verse 6, there came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all may believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. Okay, the first thing about John, he came as a testimony. He testified. You know, if you go to court and you're testifying about something, you're giving an official account for truth. He testified about the light. And who is the light? We know right here the light was the Lord Jesus. And then you pick up again. Um, in verse 15, it says, John testified about him and cried out, saying, this, is, was, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. John the Baptist telling us that Jesus existed before he came to this earth, that he, is, he has always been. And in that one moment in time, he stepped into flesh. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. All right, so let's go down to verse 19, one verse later. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, Who then are you? Elijah? And he said, I am not. Okay, some people get confused at that. He said he wasn't Elijah. He wasn't reincarnated. Okay, John was not the literal Elijah. The angel said he would come in the power and the spirit of Elijah. He was not the actual, there is no reincarnation in Christianity. Um, are you the prophet? He answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you? So that we may give answer to those who sent us. Why do you? What do you say about yourself? He says, "I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said." That's Isaiah forty, I believe. Now they have been sent from the Pharisees and asked him, and said to him, "Why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet?" John answered them, saying, "I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know." See, they didn't know the Lord. John's introducing them to Christ. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. Here's the, here's the next verse. This is so awesome. See, John is pointing to Jesus. That's our ministry. Point to Jesus. Verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There needs to be a cry that begins to come out of God's people that say, Behold, the Lamb of God. We want the world to see him. We should be shouting from the rooftops, not our ministries, not us, not the church even. Behold Jesus. Behold the Son of the living God. John shouted out, Behold the Lamb of God. 
This is he on behalf whom I said, after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifest to Israel, I came baptizing in water. So if John is a prototype and he said he has come baptizing in water so that they would recognize that he could manifest, that Jesus could be manifested to Israel, I say to you that our ministry as believers if we are receiving this last day, spirit and the power of Elijah, it will be in such a way as to point people to the Son of the living God that we might reveal him to the world. And I'm telling you, there's going to be a revelation of Jesus Christ coming to the world that the earth has not yet seen. We haven't seen yet what we're going to see at the unfolding of this thing unfolding of this age there's a there's an age unfolding before us and there's a people that are going to rise in the power and the spirit of elijah to to preach repentance and to preach behold the lamb of god john testified saying i have seen the spirit descend on a dove out of heaven and he remained upon him and i didn't you see this him but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me he upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining upon him this is the one who baptizes in the holy spirit i myself have seen and have testified that this is the son of god john the baptist had the greatest ministry probably that Israel had ever seen in its whole history, with maybe the exception of Moses, but I, 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 because of what Jesus said, I believe it was even greater because Jesus said, of all those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John. John had the privilege of introducing the Christ, whom all the law and the prophets have been telling about that he was coming. John got the, the honor of introducing Christ to the world. And I think he was the greatest prophet because Jesus said it. I, believe, I agree with Jesus. And, and, here, and here's this huge ministry that all the multitudes were running to. And here's John's attitude, okay? Y'all ready for John's attitude? And he looked at, or I'm sorry, again the next day John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Here he is again. Behold him, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. What is the fruit of your ministry? Are you leading people that have come to you? Are you leading them to the Lord and allowing them to walk away from you? These disciples that John pointed to Jesus followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what do you seek? And they say, Rabbi, which is translated teacher, where are you staying? And he said, come and you, will, and, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. See, the goal of all ministry as a believer is to connect people to Jesus where they don't need you. There's a process in that, just like a father has to take care of kids. You know, Alexis is almost 16. Um, she has been my little baby for 16 years. Sorry, Alexa. <laughs> but, you know, it's my job 
as a father to watch over her. At one time, me and my wife had to feed her, bathe her, change her diaper, watch her grow, protect her the best that we can. Don't ask me about tying a dog to the stroller because that might disqualify me. Uh, Yeah, I had the brake on the stroller. I thought it was going to be okay. (laughs) It's a miracle that any of us survived childhood, honestly. Um, So we'll save that for another day. Um, (laughs) um, So um, the point is, is that if my job as a father and Lindsay's job as a mother is to prepare her, as painful as it is as a parent who loves their child with everything in them, my goal is to prepare her in Haven for a day when they make their own decisions and they don't need me. And all true ministers should have that same thing. When God will lead babies to you, and we should train them, we should watch them, we should feed them, we should clean their diapers. But it's all with the intent of knowing that one day these kids have to grow up and be joined to Christ. And we have to say, like John did, had, he had disciples that he had been teaching for a period of time. They were in his ministry. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God. And they followed him. And then John just succeeded. And it's the same thing. Okay, so John did two things, and he did two things very well. He preached the gospel of repentance, and he preached Christ Jesus as Lord. He is the Lamb of God. Behold him. He pointed people to the Son of God, knowing that, as what he said, I must decrease and he must increase. So that's the two things John did. His mission was to connect people to him, and our mission is the same. Um, John chapter 3. I'm going to try to wrap this up. This is actually going slower than I thought it would. Um, John chapter 3, verse 26 And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified? Behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. And John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. Man, if we understood that, we we would live such different lives. We wouldn't be jockeying for position and scratching to get your promotions, and all these things that we do to fight to get what we want, if we realize that what the Father has to give to us, we don't have to scrap for it like we're some poor kids that that have to fight for a, a scrap of food that's been thrown on the ground. God has amazing things for all of our children. Seek first, Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You do what he says, You won't have to scrap for that kind of stuff. You can't receive nothing unless it's given from heaven. And the scripture says that all good and perfect gifts come down from the Father above. You yourself are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. And he who has the bride is the bridegroom. 
But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must decrease, but I must, he must increase. I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all, and he who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. What he has seen and heard, of that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. He who receives his testimony has received his seal to this, that God is true. John's ministry um, was a ministry to the people, but it wasn't for the people. It was for Christ. Do you understand that? He did that not out of love for the people, though he probably loved the people. What did Jesus tell Peter? If you love me, feed my sheep. So why are we ministering to the people? Because we love him. It's our love for him that gives us a love for the people. If you turn over to... um, Let's see here, 2 Corinthians 11. You don't have to. I'm going to read it. But 2 Corinthians 11, and then I'm going to get to the, actually all this is just to to kind of give you a foundation for the main, just one little point I want to make. And it's a point that I pray the Spirit of God marks on our hearts forever. So 2 Corinthians 11 Uh, I wish that you, verse 1, I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness, but indeed you, you are bearing with me. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. When you become a lover of the Son of God, you begin to desire everything in light of pleasing Him. When you're in love with Him. Paul, in his love for the Lord, had transitioned into a John the Baptist ministry. How so? For I am jealous with you for a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you not to myself, not to the church. I betrothed you with a godly jealousy, and I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as pure virgin. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion of Christ. There is nothing more simple than that, and yet more profound, that we would live our life with this one thing, this, this, this simple devotion to Christ Jesus and Him alone. There is nothing more important than you, each one of you, having this intimate relationship with the Lord that you're growing in. And I'm afraid that in our day, there are so many ministries that get caught in this trap. They don't start this way. Not all of them. Some of them do. To where they get caught up with the glory surrounding the ministry, and they thought somehow that was their glory. And it's not their glory. It's His glory. He is the one that's worthy of the devotion and the love and the appreciation of of the people. And John the Baptist served this well. He served the Lord well because he was not living to glorify himself, but the one who sent him and the one who was coming after him. And in the same way, we're called to do the same thing. Now, 
I've mentioned the scripture. I'm not going to go there, but just turn. If you, if, if you want to look at it, look at Matthew 22, 1 through 14. It talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's very important in light of what we're, we're saying. But I want to turn over to Revelation, and this is I'm wrapping this up. That's what a preacher says when he's wanting to give you a little bit of hope so you, you, you pay attention just for another second while he strings you along for a couple more points. <laughs> Oh, Lord. All right, so Revelations 19. And if you turn over to, if you want to, verse 7 of 19, it says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give thanks. Oh, I'm sorry. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him. Who are we giving the glory to? To him. For the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. In this, um, in our culture, and in many cultures, the bride is the center of attention on the wedding day. And that's right and wrong. It's right in our culture to do so, but I think we've got it wrong as to why it's right. Okay? Did that confuse anybody? (laughs) It's right, but for wrong reasons, I think. The reason why the bride is is the central point in a wedding, from a biblical Christ and the church metaphor understanding, okay, you're all with me? I'm just talking about the metaphor that Paul talks about in Ephesians 5, how, you know, a man and his wife represent Christ in the church. So from that regard, the reason why the bride would would be center of attention in this coming marriage supper of the Lamb is only for one reason, because she is the focal point of the son, the bridegroom. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I remember my bride come appearing at the door, walking down. I was jacked up. I was excited. I had went through hell and high water to get to this day, and uh, it was five years in the making to the day, to the day of our first date, um, and to see her I was just, I mean, it was finally here, and if you know my story, you know all the stuff that we went through and how difficult of a process it was. And when you get to that day, you're just so excited. There's a day coming when Jesus' excitement, after all the things that has been gone through in the history of man, it's all coming to a climax, to the point to where everything has been fulfilled. We've been through all the difficulties of history, and there's coming a day when this age ends and we step into a new age that is forever and ever and ever in joy and happiness and peace. Every tear is going to be wiped away, and it's for one purpose and one purpose alone that we might be a joy to our bridegroom. We want to bring him joy forever, and he takes joy in us. He loves us. So from that point, the bride prepares herself for that wedding day. She makes sure that 
hopefully, she doesn't show up strung out, you know, in a coma from the night before, mascara running, no sleep, hungover, vomiting because she's been so drunk that she couldn't even, I mean, you know what I mean? That's not the way to do it. You're preparing for this amazing day, and you want to present yourself in your best light for the one who has betrothed you to himself. And, 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 that, and we have been betrothed to Christ. I want him to get his desire out of me because he suffered and bled for me. He forgave my sins, which were many. He constantly forgives me. He constantly loves on me. He has been so good to me. And I've grown into the place. I haven't always been here, but I've grown into the place that I want to do all things for the sake of pleasing him. I want to make myself ready. And it says right here, let us rejoice. This is happiness. And be glad and give the glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come. He's about to get what he paid for at the cross when he shed his blood When he suffered and it said, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. He is the one who suffered for us. And he, there's a day coming when he gets to receive the reward of his sacrifice, when the bride has made herself ready and the marriage of the lamb has come and the world is over and the new life to begin is coming. Oh, what a day that we should rejoice in. And it was given to her. That means you can't do this in your own strength. you got to have the Holy Spirit's help. But it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts or the righteousness of the saints. There's a repentance, a getting free from stain of this world. And the stain is not just wickedness and sin, though it certainly encompasses that. It's getting free from every distraction that keeps us from the simplicity of devotion to him. He deserves my all. I was telling somebody the other day, I did not sign up to add Jesus to my life. I signed up for him to be my life. I've been bought with a price. I'm not allowed to do things for the sake of my own desire. I've made myself a bondservant. I said, Lord, I volunteer for you to have me fully. I can't do that in my own strength. I can't make that happen, but I'm asking you, and I'm really giving you permission, Lord, from my own will, I am giving you permission to do your work in me that I would live fully for you and that you could find someone in this world that would live their life for you and not for themselves. I don't, can't do that without you, but I'm asking for the grace and the power of your Holy Spirit to work in me that I would be a vessel that would please you, that would bring you joy, that I would be the joy that you saw as you were being whipped and having the flesh peeled back with the, the cat of nine tails. As those spikes were going in your arms, you were thinking about it, and I want you to have me. I'm incapable in my own strength of giving you that, but I'm giving you permission to do a work in my heart so that I can be that for you. I want to be that for him. He deserves it. He deserves it. 
And we can't do this in our own strength. It was given to her. But you have a choice to accept it or not. You have a choice whether or not you allow yourself to go through the process of being prepared to be a bride without spot or wrinkled. It's a process. Are you giving yourself to the process? When the Lord puts you in the fire, do you stay in the fire or do you jump out because you, you don't want the heat? Knowing that the heat purifies us. The bride has made herself ready. Verse 21, the angel or the messenger comes to John and he says, come here and I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. That's the second, the last chapter of the Bible. And we talk, I talked about this a few weeks ago when I talked about the city of God. That's the bride. The city of God is the bride. These are all word pictures. In Revelations 22, verse 10, it says, And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. And the one who is filthy still be filthy. And let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness. And the one who is holy still keep himself holy. I can't reiterate this enough. I can't make myself holy or righteous, but I can give my heart to the process. I can say yes to the Lord when he comes and puts his finger on sin in my life. Pride. Wrong thoughts. I can say, yes, Lord, you're right. Help me get rid of it. I see the leaven in my life. Help me get rid of it. It's those that have a heart to allow the Lord to work in them, to purify them, to go through the process that they become pure, not of their own doing. As it says in Ephesians 5, that he has washed us with the water of the word, that he might present to himself a bride without spot or wrinkle. Allow him to wash you. Allow him to put his fingers on things. Allow him to put you through the process of becoming the bride that brings him pleasure. This life is about that. Do you realize that? This life goes by quick. Anybody in really mid-40s and up, maybe even 40, but especially as the, the older you get, you realize the blink that a life is. is a short little thing to pay for being prepared to be his bride for all of eternity, to be one with him, to be one with him, for him to have the joy. It's a small price to pay to sacrifice our desires in this life for his because eternity is forever and ever. And he's promised us that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, neither has it even entered into the hearts of men all the things that I have prepared for those that love me. God's looking for a bride that loves him. I want to be it. 
If you turn over to Revelations 22, it's the last chapter. As I was reading it, I'm sorry, I was already reading it. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes. You've got to wash them so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter into the gates of the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practicing lying. And that really is the key, guys, to overcoming sin. Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. I used to think I got to go keep all his commandments so I can show him I love him. No, I was misunderstanding. If I would fall in love with him, I would automatically keep his commandments. I can remember times in my life when I was being tempted with great temptation and my flesh wanted to give in. And I, but I was like, Lord, I love you more than this sin that my flesh wants. I love you more. Help my love for you increase. Help me to love you so much that I would never, ever do anything to hurt you. And I remember this one particular time overcoming the struggle I had because of my love for him. It was the only thing that got me. It wasn't discipline. It wasn't willpower. It wasn't my own strength. It was just I had fell in love with him. And in my love for him, I I, I just couldn't do it. Does that make sense? Love is the answer to love him with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. We got to wash our robes. Now, I want to tell you a secret. I'm going to tell you when Jesus is returning. I'm not tricking you, but I am tricking you. But I am not tricking you. I'm telling you when Jesus is going to come back. I know Jesus said no, no man knows the day or the hour. We don't know the day or the hour. I can't tell you, hey, he's going to come back on, you know, July the 4th, <laughs> 2052 or something. I, I don't know. But I can tell you what we're going to see happening in the earth when Jesus returns. And it's totally about this marriage supper. Jesus says in verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Now, verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take water of life without cost And then he testifies a few things, and then right there in the last verse, last two verses, he says, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Verse 17, reiterate, the Spirit and the bride. Who are we talking about? The Spirit of God and the bride of Christ. When Jesus returns, This is what you're going to see in the earth. You're going to see a group of believers that have so fell in love with him that they count this life as dung, and they've done everything they can to give themselves to the process of allowing the Holy Spirit to make us a pure vessel to where our every thought and intention is on him. 
and to where we cannot even take it no more. We have been so consumed with who he is that we can't stand it another day. And in agreement and in alignment with the spirit of God within us, the church begins to cry out, Lord Jesus, come back. I can't take it no more. I got to be with you. I love you so much. I can't take it another day. Come back, Lord. And when the Lord has prepared us for that moment and that time, the Father is going to present to his Son a church without spot or wrinkled who is absolutely head over heels, lovesick for for the Son. And he's going to have a bride that he's worthy of, a bride without spot or wrinkle, because it's going to be imperfect humans who have fell in love with him, and because of their love for him, they have given themselves to the process to be refined. And I promise you that when you're in this place of pursuit, and you're falling in love with him, and you're growing in that intense passion for him, you will become a John. When everyone around you, all you want to do is present them wholly to the Lord. You want to present your friends and your family and your church members and everybody you know to him because he is what's consuming you. I want that. I want that. And as I was feeling the Lord breathe this on me this morning, I just couldn't help but just sit on my porch and just cry out, Lord Jesus, do that in my heart. And I'm just going to invite you, if you want that, if you want to be that bride, say yes to him. Invite him in to have his perfect work in you, that you would be a bride without spot or wrinkle, because that's the bride he's coming back for, a bride that is so in love with him, they can't stand it anymore. Come, Lord Jesus. That's when he's coming. When the veil has been thinned out so much and we see him as he is, we're not going to be able to stand it. We want to be with him because of our love. And Lord, I'm asking right now in this room, in this small group of people right here, that you would set us so on fire for your love. Lord, that we would be consumed with hearts burning in passion for you and you alone, that there would be nothing in our heart or life that would steal us our devotion, our simplicity of devotion to you, Lord, that everything is good in its right place, but that nothing would take the place of our passion for you. And I'm asking that by the Spirit of God and by the grace of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus, that you would give your church, Lord, not only in this room, Lord, but all across the world, that you would begin to send a fire in our hearts to prepare your bride for a passion for you. Lord, that we would be consumed with your desire that we would see you as you are, and that we would love you the way you deserve to be loved. Lord, do that in us today and tomorrow and the the rest of our life, Lord. Help us to give ourselves to be consumed by allowing the process of love to grow and holiness to be perfected in us, Lord, so that you would get your desire and that we would lead all men and women to you, Lord, that you would have the joy that was set before you, that you endured the cross, despising its shame. We love you, Lord Jesus. We bless you, Lord. Have your way in our hearts.
In Jesus' name.